My name is Remy. I'm Veronica. And I'm Omer. You're tuning in to Oats for Breakfast. Which is an eco-socialist podcast. Based in Toronto. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on any podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash oatsforbreakfast and becoming a patron. In this episode, we're going to be chatting about the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's vacuousness. As leftists in Canada, we've been wondering why the resurgence of left politics that's currently taking place in the U.S. hasn't been replicated in Canada. In other words, why is the NDP so committed to centrism? In order to contribute to answering this question, we decided to read Jagmeet Singh's book, which is called Love and Courage. My story of family, resilience, and overcoming the unexpected. And much of our discussion in this episode is going to be based on our thoughts of that book. So we can start off maybe by talking a little bit about the NDP as a party, like what they are. Yeah, especially for our non-Canadian audience, maybe Mm -hmm. like just the basics, if we even say what, what does NDP stand for? I mean, New Democratic Party. And the, the NDP is our, historically, our social democratic party. Yeah, yeah. Our left center or, left. Left or center, yeah. yeah. But increasingly, not so much, right? Increasingly, they're sort of, they're insistent on this stuff about electability mm-hmm. and really yeah. trying to like tamper down anything that would make them seem like they're, they're actually committed leftists. Yeah. And so, so in, in rhetoric, they often seem very much like the Liberal Party of Canada. And they're, you know, the policies, they can be more progressive. They kind of have to be. <laughs> That's the poll they have in our politics. But okay, so what did you guys make of this book, Jagmeet Singh's book, Love and Courage? It was released during the federal election campaign last year. So that was 2019. Is that what he decided to do instead of talking about like a platform? Oh, (laughs) sick burn. (laughs) So we're already, yeah. That was the platform, Love and Courage, or that was the slogan, right? Love and Courage. And then he... And in in this book, I I mean, I like how he just straight up says that this this slogan was created by like an agency, you know, like this was something that they thought of as like part of his brand. So the idea of his brand and you know what brand the NDP should be. This is not something that is just coming externally. I think they themselves that that is how they see how you go about doing politics in the so the modern age. Yeah, you brand yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I have that part here actually where Jagmeet writes, a dear friend of mine who runs a creative agency had helped develop love and courage for the campaign. But for me, it was more than just a slogan. When my friend presented the idea to me, I felt those two terms captured more than just my motivation, more than just my journey. They perfectly encapsulated the lessons life taught me, my values, who I am, and the way I try to live my life. Wow. Inspiring. Inspiring. Yeah. But I mean, I think that like basically encapsulates what the entire book is. It's very much a sort of like a PR fluff piece for him to push out before the election. I'm not sure who he was even reading this book. I don't think it's one of these books that like an American politician, a big politician, you know, it hits like bestsellers. And so I'm not even sure who's reading this outside of other maybe political journalists and they'll pick up some elements from the book 
and then they'll bring that out into the newspapers, magazines, columns, and that'll be part of the overall campaigning approach. Is this is how you know Jagmeet trying to endear himself to the to the people, right? It is, it is like um, it's a like transparently a uh, seems like a PR sort of piece, but yeah. not even really for his career in that sense. It really is more like personal sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Personal relatability. Yeah. Because you don't really get a sense of politics when you read the no. book. Yeah, there's no politics. Yeah, in the book. yeah. Just yeah. read yeah. about it's about his journey. Him, his journey. Uh, yeah, his journey. Yeah, his inspiring it, journey. It's a memoir. And but yeah. I mean you would still think that he is a politician. He's a leader of one of the political parties that's contending for power in the country. You would think that there would be politics in the book, uh, but there really isn't. But I mean, I actually think that that is part of like, even when he wants to frame himself, he's uh, he's the unwilling initially politician who's who's just been doing good work on the side. And now other people are, you know, like Jagmeet, you're such a genuine guy. Like you, we need you is because you don't want mm -hmm. to be a politician, right? And even these, when he's talking about these experiences, he always does connect him to like what will be what will inform his politics later on, right? Like he, all his personal stuff, he always tries to like impose these like life lessons that he learned, whether it's, you know, when he talks about when he decided to go from being called Jimmy to Jugmead, mm -hmm. he, he's like, oh, this is, I was always, um, want to like go against the grain or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's whatever he talks about, it's always this relationship to, between like the personal to what the political will become, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the general tone of the book, and I think it, it I, you got, you're right that like it's captured in the, the part of it that I just read. The book is like reading a long TED talk. Yeah. 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 It's like if a motivational poster was to be turned into a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's, like, yeah. it's just like motivational seeming rhetoric that lacks substance. And what it lacks, as, especially as we've been saying, is politics. Yeah. You know, it doesn't tell the reader about what Jagmeet's political convictions are or if he even has any. And I, coming out of this book, what I came away with is that this guy doesn't have any political convictions. I mean, I think this is kind of what has passed for as like a proxy, like a stand in for politics is this kind of stuff yeah. over the past, you know, let's say like decade. Yeah, I almost would like reading what he's writing. It's almost what I would describe maybe as a politics of comfort, where it's not actually about justice. It's not about political ideas. It's about having some sympathy and deciding, I want everyone to feel comfortable and I don't want the poorest to be too bad mm -hmm. off. I don't want them to have to suffer, but then you're not doing anything substantial about it. It's just this level. We can all agree that no one should go hungry. We can all agree that no one should be attacked for their sexuality or their race but then you don't go any farther. It's just left at, we can agree that people have dignity and we should protect that dignity. Let's, mm -hmm. let's agree. Love and courage. Love and courage. Just to that, that heckler out there, we love you. Yeah, um, yeah. You looked into her eyes and, you know. I think part of, I think leaving out some of the politics probably was purposely done as well because there is this idea that maybe like an older idea now, maybe coming from like the, you know, like the more like the 2000s was mm -hmm. that this person is, they're not explicitly political. They're actually just coming out and like, you know, struggling or all these other things. And then they, they realize afterwards that, oh, now I need to go into politics or something. Well, should we go through a little bit of his story just to bring our listeners up to speed on 
what the yeah, I think that book, makes sense to book do, covers. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Jagmeet uh, is born in 1979 in Canada. His parents are here and, and he's the first child, right? That's where the, I guess... The beginnings hit. focus a lot on his parents, yeah. um, his physician father and his journey, his father uh, wanting to gain more financial security is a recurrent theme in those early chapters. And that's kind of how he cushions the start of his book. The, the bringing of him into existence is characterized by his parents' journey into Canada to make the better life for themselves. Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of like the kind of story of any professional class immigrant family. I mean, this is the kind of thing my dad went through. You know, he came here, he was he wasn't able to right away find a job in his field. And so he had to wait a while and then figure it out and so a similar thing happened with Jagmeet's father and his mother adopted the role of being a stay-at-home mother and wife even though very early on she did work outside of the house while his dad was studying for the equivalency test to get his license to practice medicine in Canada. And so then they, he practiced medicine or he got his residency and lived in Saint, they lived in St. John's for a little while. And then eventually after that, they came to Windsor, Ontario, where Jagmeet spent most of his youth. He talks a lot too about his um, education and how he was encouraged by his parents to really pursue education, to always be studying. He went to a prep school and it's revealed that he had a, a very bourgeois childhood. He doesn't present it as, a, as having had a... He, he doesn't present it in those terms, certainly. Not but those is, terms, yeah. but... Uh, it's, it's, it's slowly revealed, I guess, through yeah, the... Um, the writing lessons and everything else. Yeah, I don't think he himself thought that he was living something so upper or different. And I think that is another theme that he reiterates throughout this book. It's more of a message of inclusion versus exclusion and belonging and fitting in. And that, again, I feel like is a substitute for his politics that he reveals constantly in his retellings of these stories from his childhood. It's about not feeling that you should be excluded for, and he lists your sexuality, your gender, your race, or if you or your parent has a lower income. Mm -hmm. I remember those words precisely. And he discusses it in terms of belonging and exclusion and that everyone should feel like they belong. So he set the standard for kind of a normal feeling of inclusion, mm -hmm. but he doesn't really say how we should fit in or how we should feel like we belong, except that we should maybe be nice to each other, which I don't even know if he says. Well, just so, implied. But just, just on his schooling, so he went to school in the US. Mm -hmm. So they lived in Windsor and then he went to public school for a little little while. But then eventually his parents enrolled him in what is known as the Detroit Country Day School. Mm -hmm. And we looked up the cost of this school because Jagmeet doesn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> in the book. But And this is, of course... This I mean, is like the 80s, I guess. Yeah, he, he did it in the 80s, yeah. and we know the cost today. So if you were to enroll your child in that school... You want them to be the future NDP leader, maybe? Yeah. So for just for preschool, for three- and four-year-olds, uh, a full-day preschool program at the school costs you $20,000 a year. And then when you get up to grade, from grade 9 to 12, which is, I guess, high school, the cost goes up to $32,000 a year. 
It's a lot of money. Yeah. And I mean, in the, in the thing, they're like, oh, one of the things that they were most, you know, it's seen as, you know, in his previous public school, he was the only one who was brand new, was full of like white people. And this new school, which is clearly like an upper class school, that's where he's, you know, it's like mm-hmm. he found, you know, there was other, all sorts of other ethnicities. And it was also a place where, you know, he was, the thing that my mom was most uh, compelled by was how eager to learn these uh, these students are so the, even like the way that it's presented it's like this like new kind of like utopia almost mm-hmm. for him but it like the strong like class elements in those are are like yeah. very much missing um, yeah from he the makes book. a comment like the the only thing that you'd be bullied for is maybe not having the coolest shoes I, I also remember him saying yeah I'd wait at, I'd wait at like 6 a.m for the bus to take us there with other students of um, whose parents were physicians so it's all these yeah. upper class kids waiting to get on their bus to go across the border to their fancy prep school where all they had to worry about was whether their shoes were cool enough. But okay, so the way he presents it in the book, and I'm sure there's something to this, um, is that the reason for him changing to this school was the bullying and harassment that he was facing as a kid. And I mean, I'm sure he did face quite a bit of it because he was visibly, uh, you know, sick like he wrote as a young like he wore the turban of course well yeah yeah. and um or or the patka the the smaller version of it as a kid and would get made fun of and and have a difficult time getting to lots of fights and so that's that's the explanation it's it's not and maybe i'm sure that played a part in it Um, but the fact that this is a really fancy school the class dimensions of it are subdued um and then he does well, I guess, in school. He's a smart kid. And then he graduates and then goes on to become a... a go, well, at first he doesn't... He wants to become a doctor, but doesn't really want to do that anymore. And then eventually becomes a lawyer and eventually is pulled into politics by his brother and uh, one of his brother's friends. But we can get to that part. The uh, So, I mean, I, I know I, we've all kind of reached the consensus that this book lack substance but there are a, a few things in here that i think are genuine um mm. so like his discussion of his dad's alcoholism i thought was very heartbreaking yeah i'm i feel very good that he was confident and secure enough to to discuss that because that would be so difficult to even i feel put on paper and have everyone kind of tap in to mm. this past that you've had because there is so much stigma and shame around that. So I, I I felt like that was his most humanizing and actually relatable moment where he discusses dealing with that in the book. And also, of course, the abuse he faced by um, one of his sports coaches. Yeah, his Taekwondo yeah. teacher. I think when he was 10 or 11, right? Mm-hmm. So he was sexually assaulted, which, yeah, that was, yeah, that's obviously really fucked up. Yeah, so when they're like, like those are like the few, you know, there are a few parts of the of the book, and and I also think like you know when you see some of his like relationships with like his siblings or where that's actually probably where like the sort of the book is like strongest mm-hmm. in sort of making you sympathize with him. You know, one I guess maybe one question I have is after reading it, like if the despite the fact that we're you know we're kind of even from the you know we're approaching it from like a negative kind of um you know kind of um position or saying it's you know clearly like a PR thing but I mean in the end does it accomplish in some ways the task of making you like him more even if you, you don't learn that much you don't learn anything about his politics but 
you know, does it is it something which you you kind of like him more by the end of it, or I personally don't. I I think you do learn about his politics. I think you learn that he doesn't have. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're if he's trying to like be a relatable, personable person, and I guess that's what politicians want to try to do. Maybe he succeeded. I like I'm not the target, right? I'm yeah. like you're, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, even George W. Bush, you know, he he starts those paintings. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he acts yeah. kind of silly in public, and he actually managed to convince yeah. a lot of people that oh, he's just this sweet old yeah, man. Yeah. The rehabilitation yeah. of George Bush yeah. is on. You know, um, so I mean, it, it's hard to know. But I again, I can't figure out who the audience for this book really is, or even it made me question who the NDP's audience was, because um, this book it kind of transported me to being in high school, not because learning about his school days, you know, made me nostalgic or remember anything, but more, it, it sounds like a book that was written between 2000 and 2010, or more specifically 2008. It sounds like a book that would happen, you know, prior to Obama getting yeah. elected. Yeah. Um, the yeah. way he yeah. discusses these issues, it just feels so dated. Yeah, hope and change, and right? Actually, yeah. so I, I can imagine uh, actually, you know, Jagmeet, uh, you know, it's like November, 2008. And he's sitting there watching TV, and he's like, "One day I can be, I can be Barack Obama." <laughs> you know, so much of this book, like that's, like, uh, you're talking even the way it's written, like it's written continuously, where it seems like there's these constant like life lessons that are not like he's not even just saying that this happened. You know, he's thinking about it in that way after the fact. It's he's describing it as if at that time he's like, "Oh, that was when I realized." Like these like dramatic moments, which don't seem. You know, I'm not sure if people in their actual lives, that's how they experience these moments. But it's like this kind of literary mm-hmm. kind of approach where he's, it's like he's giving himself, like this is, it's a continuous try to give himself like an origin story. Yeah. yeah. And then the book ends is, yeah. and then I, and like how I became Jagmeet Singh. Yeah, that's the end, I, right? I like, signed my name, yeah, yeah, Jagmeet yeah, yeah, Singh. Yeah. yeah, like it's like the end of, you know, yeah. if you watch the end of like the first superhero movie in like a trilogy, the end of the first one would be like an I am Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then the credits would, yeah. um, and this is what it is. This is like his, you know, this is what he's trying to make this book, right? Like it's his. Mm-hmm. I think moments like that in the book too, they kind of pulled me out of the narrative a bit because it I, I had to stop and question is this the publishers being like we need like a, a thread a connecting thread for your life story to try and you know sell it yeah. and it, it just felt very disingenuous yeah. then that's where like we talk about where was the book the strongest this is where the book is I think the weakest right where it's these almost these transparent attempts to make these threads right and even the way that was a hope was a loving love and courage. Lo- loving courage is like impo- like there are certain paragraphs where you can clearly tell like the entire paragraph it's like in you know undergraduate essay where you want to like end the final <laughs> paragraph with like this like you know to the line yeah. and the entire paragraph is written so they can like just incorporate like love and courage in there as a and the other phrase right? the yeah. other phrase he really likes to use is we are all connected we yeah. are all connected yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is something I want to talk about, his his discussion of his depiction of Sikhism and his faith. But before that, I, I want to actually go back a little bit to talk about his dad's alcoholism, just so that people yeah. have a sense of what that's about. Because like, yeah, like we said, like it is, it's like quite heartbreaking. It's uh, mm-hmm. like his dad's a very successful psychiatrist and works his ass off. But then in his home life, struggles with alcoholism and makes 
life health for the rest of the family. And, you know, it becomes like throws things, yells things, and like is constantly in, in the horrible, horrible moods and is, is abusive. And so having to see that, you know, and ha having to support his dad, I mean, and there there is that discussion about like having to be supportive while at the same time becoming increasingly removed from and like getting angry at his dad and especially yeah. his younger brother, Gurathan, had a very hard time. Yeah. And, and for Jagmeet, he's the oldest, so he obviously ends up bearing a lot of the like that yeah. responsibility of dealing with the situation more than maybe more so than his other siblings. Yeah. And then so eventually his dad actually loses his license to practice, at which point Jagmeet became had to take on the role of being the sole or the main breadwinner in the family. Right. They had to use up their savings and he was at in school at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. So that that seems like it was must have been quite difficult. Yeah. But I also want to say, like, I think the parts about his dad's alcoholism here too, like it lacks, you know, social and political yeah. content, Yeah. which I was quite disappointed by it. You know, he portrays it as a, as a kind of an individual thing mm -hmm. that his dad's dealing with. And he doesn't situate it as part of a broader pattern within society yeah. and broader patterns within the Sikh community yeah. mm -hmm. where and, yeah. alcoholism among yeah. men is a very yeah. real epidemic. And actually he, he, I, I did, I did also find this kind of, funny as well as the like the proxy of his dad's sobriety or non-sobriety is how much he embraces the sick religion right like he he really associates the the sobriety the progressive you know when his dad is doing better when you know the embracing of the religion and when he's not it's because he hasn't embraced uh the religion enough right so um i think that tells you a lot maybe about him and of how he's you know what the religion means to him it's kind of an interesting um yeah, I mean, he he, he poses like Sikhism as the solution because Sikhism says, well, you shouldn't drink. And if my dad just followed... He's went off the path, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, uh, and he, he even preludes with that when he's describing, you know, how his dad dressed and cut his hair. It was kind of like from the start, having his dad be the, the less faithful one, the mm -hmm, one yeah. who maybe would always inevitably kind of fall off. Yeah, and which is like a... You know, if you talk about you want to connect it to like broader problems, like I mean, the people who are alcoholics, let's say the sick community, are not just the uh, the secular ones. Mm -hmm. This is among even the you know the most religious. Like this is just uh, as big of a problem there as well, right? Yeah, and that was really completely missing at all because actually he he talks about how his dad was like you know excluded from the community and all these kinds of things because of his alcoholism. So not only does he not acknowledge the broader problems. In the community, he actually seems to present it as if these aren't actually. This is a problem that's foreign to that community, and this is a community who, when when pure, are not drinking alcohol. And now that his dad is, you know, followed the wrong path, he's being excluded from the uh, from the community. Yeah, do you know how very many, strange? Do you know how many people would be ostracized from the sick community if like ninety? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean no, yeah. I mean, not uh, to yeah, yeah not yeah, to like yeah. joke about it, but it's yeah. a serious problem, right? Yeah. And I think that uh, yeah, it, it would have been useful for him to have gone through this experience and to, to talk about it in a way that actually addresses it in a social, cultural depth. I also remember near the end of the book, he makes a comment, his dad has, um, this is right before I think his dad goes into rehab for the success, like when, he, when he's about to succeed. And you know, he's all disheveled looking, very underweight, looks really rough. And he comments, the Jigmeet comments, every time I see a homeless person, 
I get that little reminder of my father and what, you know, and it was like trying to humanize the homeless person, but also say when my dad was at his intoxicated, rough, near death's door days, I can see that in these homeless people, but I know to be sympathetic because they could be just like my dad. No, man, that worked on me. Like, honestly, that was, that was touching. Like I, yeah, I felt But like that. that's, but that is, you know, that's where he always uses as a, it's like, I had this experience and therefore this is why I'm sympathetic to indigenous issues. This is why I'm sympathetic to women. And this is why I'm, you know, like, yeah. is these personal things that have happened. And now, you know, this is what informed my, I guess he, when he's more sympathetic to homeless uh, people. Yeah. Like that That is yeah. the, what basically the book. Yeah, um, yeah, is. that's true. That is, yeah, he, he, everything is like a lesson. There's a lesson mm-hmm. to be drawn. Yeah. Yeah, which makes it c- quite contrived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, I just want to go, when you, when you were talking about the, like the idea of like the Sikh community or whatever as well, right? I mean, I think maybe this also shows some of the problems when you look at some of these communities as a single community, because I'm not sure if when he's talking about the Sikh community, if he's necessarily is talking about the same Sikh community that some some other, maybe people who are more secular, the people who are not like, it's very like, there's no like mono, monolithic society, which uh, he can, um, you know, necessarily be represented. Cause even, even when he talks about later on the, he's talking about like 1984 and the, all these kinds of things, right? And he, and he talks about like the, the year, I forget which year it was, but he goes, this was the 25th year anniversary, which was a very tough time it was a you know the trauma that the Sikh community felt, and now the Sikh can finally get over this this trauma, right? And like I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that is this foundational traumatic uh, thing that so a lot of two, people. 2009 wasn't that hard a year for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I don't like I don't even yeah like I'm not and you know for some people like this there are certain elements of the Sikh community who for them this is a very thing, but that that is also associated with like another political project mm-hmm. of like Khalistan and all this kind of stuff. So not to like sort of diminish what happened in 1984, but he's not, he might not necessarily be coming from as a representative of the Sikh community. It could be actually be a one segment of, and this is true for communities in general, right? Like mm-hmm. we, a lot of times we take one person who rep- who we say, oh, this person represents like, you know, like the Nigerian community. This person is yeah. the Haitian. It's like, no, like mm-hmm. this is like that could be very that ends up being a very misrepresentation of a community mm-hmm. yeah and, and we should definitely chat about 1984 because and when we talk say 1984 we're not referring to george orwell <laughs> yeah. here um th- because the events that that took place were those are if anything that's the kind of politicizing sort of moment or if not the moment you know at least looking back that's what Jagmeet develops himself as a as you know as a human rights advocate around. Yeah, that that's right. what draws him into activism or political stuff, right? Yeah, this, um, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that deserves, of course, a, a a discussion, and we certainly should. But getting before getting into that, we we could talk also about his approach to his religion, his faith. For me, I really felt like, and perhaps there's you know this is just because he needs to communicate with his Western readers. But like, I know that Sikhism happens to be a monotheism. You wouldn't know that reading Jagmeet's book. What you, what you would come to, you know, as a picture of Sikhism is kind of like this new age, Buddhism-like. Yeah. Energy, connections. Yeah. yeah, like this Eastern spirituality, yeah. right? Like, yeah. 
And and this is where like the we are all connected, right? Mm-hmm. Like that whole line. I mean, I I searched the because we you know we had the electronic version of the of mm-hmm. the book. I searched that phrase, we are all connected. It comes up ten times in the book. Uh, and I have a passage where he sort of um, his sort of introduction to his faith that as he presents it. And this is when he's like a young kid, and this is what he says: How can I be more connected to the world? I asked my mom one night. You could try meditating, she suggested. Meditation helps us connect with the infinite energy inside us. She sat down on the floor beside my bed and patted a space on the rug beside her for me to sit. We're going to repeat the Gur Mantar, she said. Gur, and this is Jagmeet's voice, Gur means enlightened, and Mantar is a word that one reflects on. In Sikhi, the Gurmantar is Vahe Guru. It is contemplated and repeated out loud as a way to realize and experience the oneness of the universal energy. I repeated the word Vahe Guru out loud. Vahe means wonderful and Guru means light in darkness or enlightener. So that's a bit lengthy, but it gives you a sense of what I mean when I say you know, new agey sort of thing. And even, so like the word Vahe Guru, like it's usually translated as wonderful Lord. Yeah, like wonderful, mm-hmm. yeah, like that. It definitely, you know, actually, yeah, it's even in the Gurdwaras when their translations are that it's definitely referring to clearly like a like a monotheistic yeah. like God mm-hmm. that we would, a God. Like a way we yeah. would see in other. Um, so like, but what do you, I mean, I think there's two maybe things that one is, we talk about both. One is, you know, the way that it's written for a Western audience. Uh, so we can ask, you know, who is this actually written for? It's written for people who are not maybe familiar with his religion, and he's kind of packaging it in these ways, which, you know, these like, you know, using, you know, like elements of like Buddhism, New Age stuff, kind of like this like wishy-washy like universe energy connectedness and all this kind of stuff, right? Which, you know, maybe that familiarizes his religion. Um, so we can talk about, you know, which audiences are written for, but also I think for a lot of people sick people, people from other, yeah, other, other faiths, they themselves, that is often how they now think of their religion as well, right? Like if you, I think if you talk to people, because one key element of Sikhism is like the oneness and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and so people now, they still identify as Sikh, they still think that they are, but when it comes to their religious beliefs, it is more of like a, well, I don't know if I like believe in God necessarily, but I do believe in, spirituality or like this con you know and so i think that is how a lot of people um but the the people you're referring to here would be like people who aren't necessarily religious right but they could be i feel like you know there are some people who you know they do see themselves as religious but they don't quite know how they feel about certain terms of the religion and i've seen that i see this in lots of different faiths so they'd rather speak about the divine Mm -hmm. rather than a god or something like that and then I think, you know, there there's that side. And there also is a side where you you want your religion because it connects you with your family and your community and your culture, mm-hmm. but you don't also know if you are really believing in it. So then you also turn to terms like that too. So it, it could just be a general agnosticism where you don't feel certain enough or comfortable enough with certain terms of your religion. And so you kind of substitute these slightly vaguer terms yeah. in because it makes it more open. But it 
could very well be that. Or again, it's the audience thing. What is more palatable for an audience of either multi-faith or even non-faith type readers? Okay, at at my most cynical, and I don't necessarily want to be the most cynical person about this, but at my most cynical, I would say that Jagmeet's vacuousness extends even to the way that he presents his faith. You know, he renders it into the form that's palatable to his Western readers. And look, Westerners know what monotheism is, okay? Like, <laughs> they're quite, quite familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. So it's like, it's not as if they wouldn't understand that. It's just that, well, for Western readers, this form of presenting this sort of romantic New Age depiction yeah, yeah. of Eastern faiths is yeah. what they're, yeah. they're comfortable with. Yeah. That's exactly what they think of Eastern, you know, like yeah. that, that's, that's how they like their Eastern faiths yeah. is that you can kind of just like, you know, these are, they're spiritual, they're, you know, they're... Um, There's an energy, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. really just like feel connected, right? It's like Beatles song level yeah. integration, yeah. like Beatles yeah. going to India. Now, like you can wear an amulet with a, a Hindu god on yeah, it or something. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's that level. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know, because like, obviously, everyone has the right to interpret their religion the way they want, as does Jagmeet or anyone else. I mean, and I know, like, and it's not just Jagmeet, like I've seen, and I think, Remy, what you're saying about people relating to Sikhism, sometimes in this way is not necessarily uncommon, like, especially young people, right? Like you read their, yeah. like you kind of learn it's about It's probably their. more common, I think, but uh, maybe it's, maybe it's more strange coming from someone who seems to be very real like they like he seems to be someone who would be more uh religious like or you can see how important the religion is to him and it was something that he didn't necessarily pick up like from his parents like he was the one who was like the one who wore the turban like before his dad and you know yeah. um so and even some of like the elements of the religion that he seems to be coming uh from i it like it's it's hard to know if that really is necessarily how much of that is, you know, how he himself thinks about the religion mm -hmm. or how much of it was, you know, packaged for a Western audience who's unfamiliar with, with Sikhism. Because actually quite a bit of this book is, you know, he'll, he'll go through lengths to like explain certain um, practices and like, or he'll use like the Punjabi word. And then, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it, it's like the clearly written for an audience to, to kind of familiarize them with what he thinks like with, or like make it, package it so they're comfortable with, you know, whatever his, you know, like foreign religion is. or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, th I think you're absolutely right because he is a very strict adherent of Sikhism, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not like he's like has a wish-washy approach to it. And yet in presenting it, it's... I think you do get a, you, you get less of um, an idea of what Sikhism is than you would expect for the amount of time he seems to spend talking about mm -hmm. his religion, mm -hmm. you don't, I think, get a very good idea of what the religion is outside mm -hmm. of this very like kind of romantic, like, we just want to help, you know, we're just but working hard and helping people. And um, which every religion, you could, you know, that's like, you, you don't learn that much that's specific um, yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. That's true. Anyways. No. Okay, so what, what about uh, 1984 then? What about it? So this is like we were saying, the thing that if there's anything in the book, this is what turns Jagmeet on to politics. Um, so, I mean, we could talk, first of all, I should, we should go into talking about what happened in 1984, the context around it. So um, in 1984 in India, 
there were riots and uh, massacre of thousands of sick men especially and, and then there were also murder of women rapes of women a uh, pogrom one yeah. could say uh, that took place and this so just to give the context this followed right on the heels of the assassination of the prime minister of india at the time indira gandhi who was killed by her bodyguards who were sick and and then of course i guess we have to go back and explain well why would why would that have happened i don't think you need to <laughs> <laughs> well no but well yeah, there's just yeah, to yeah, just yeah. to be briefly i mean there was a sick sick separatist movement and you've uh You've mentioned Khalistan, so like the the idea of creating this Sikh homeland within the the state of Punjab in India. So this was something that that was going on in the late seventies, early eighties, and the Indian government, in, led by Indira Gandhi, had cracked down very harshly, including you know sending the army ra- raiding religious sites, and so this this was the context in which this took place. So yeah, the the assassination happened and followed by. This massacre of thousands of people in Delhi and then elsewhere around the country. And Jagmeet came to know about it, I guess, when it happened. And actually, and, and well, we should also point out that uh, the following year, of course, in 1985, was the Air India 182 bombing, which was something that Canada, of course, is related to because it happened. It was the flight that took off from Montreal, I think, on its way to London. And that flight was bombed. Uh, I think 300 something, 300 people, I don't remember the exact figures, were killed. And this was a continuance of this Sikh separatist sort of project. Okay, so this is what happens. I mean, this, I guess that's the context. And then, so Jagmeet, I guess, early in life comes comes to know about this as a young kid. Uh, I guess he would have been like five years old. But then like through the Gurdwara, through the community, you know, he sees pictures. And then eventually when he becomes a lawyer and his brother actually is the one who kind of brings him into some of this stuff because his brother's organizing educationals with um, the Sikh activist network. His brother's like a, Guratan becomes like a student activist of the kind that I guess we were. Uh, we are, is that fair? Are. No. Are. I mean... I mean that's that's another thing I was you know when you guys aware if if the activism was beyond like sick act- activism or if it was you know something that we would consider to be like left um, broader like left activism because even Jagmeet mentions the Iraq War um, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. for me but like he doesn't really give us much of an idea if he was. You know, I think part, he, part I think that. he went to a protest or something, right? <laughs> he went to a protest yeah. once. That's his yeah. uh, street cred. <laughs> no, no, I'm I I think the the people and it, there's, there's not that much of a discussion in the book and i don't even know if he mentions the name of the organization but the Sikh activist network they saw themselves as like progressives and tried to do things like indigenous solidarity yeah. you know like if there was a call for you know allies to come support an indigenous uh, occupation or something they would show up i mean i think this is part of what they were doing and they they saw themselves as part of the left okay yeah but a lot of their advocacy was also around uh, education around 1984 and seeking recognition for what happened and developing, you know, this this identity around what it means to be a Sikh. So, okay, so this is where sort of Jagmeet gets involved because he runs workshops for people 
around the time of the 25th anniversary, and he becomes an advocate for the cause to have what happened in 1984 be recognized officially as a genocide. And one of the things, actually, the, the prelude to this is that a member of the Indian government, a guy named Kamal Nath, who's a, he's a member of the Indian National Congress, he comes to Ontario on a trade mission to talk to, you know, I guess the, at the time it was a liberal government in power in Ontario. And these guys, Jagmeet and some of the other people in the Sikh community, they, they try to get him disinvited. They petition the Ontario government to, to have him no longer come and their petitions are refused. Uh, and so they organize a protest and this is what it says in the book. On the day of the meeting with Nath, we reached out to the media and mobilized a couple hundred protesters outside the King Edward Hotel, which is, I guess, where the meeting took place. The crowd outside chanted, Go back, Kamal Nath, and Kamal Nath, human rights violator, from behind a police-guarded barricade. Emotions were high. I played the role of legal observer, ready to provide assistance for any legal issues that could arise, and to make sure nobody's safety was compromised. So this was, you know, like Jigmeet as a lawyer would play this type of role, right? Yeah. He, he would get mm -hmm. called in to be like, oh, if there's any legal issues. That's, that, that's the extent of his political involvement prior to being pulled into, you know, running for the NDP. I, I remember too, I think just after, just before, somewhere in there, he talks about, I was called in to be a legal observer, but... I wanted to go a step further. I wanted to be their legal representative. These young activist kids, sure, they'd make mistakes, but they still deserved legal representation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, like just in terms of how he sees like the the law, like there's a, mm -hmm. there's like two different parts of like first his once again his origin story of when he first starts thinking about being a lawyer is when he's talking to the law professor, the philosophy of law professor, and the, he asks him, you know, what is like the law to you, and he just talks about the law is what you know binds communities together and brings people connect this law is what connects us so, you know and this and then he has like a very similar interpretation of the law again afterwards right like this you know like first of all that's like a, might be like a strange um <laughs> version of the, of, yeah. the, of the law but it's yeah. uh maybe that tells you something about him but like he, it's it's connecting like his career to this broader idea of like connectivity and binding us together and us yeah. we are all in this together you know it's like very it's like every little thing is one more part of this idea of like connectivity and yeah uh, i think i know which one you're talking about the latter one where he says something like the law can bind us though it can also act to uh, structurally oppress but I wanted to use the law then to to fight for justice and to okay. fight for the inclusivity of everyone. And yeah, yeah so he, he recognizes this dual side of it, but then he also thinks it's a, a binding force for the community. Yeah, and I mean, just to frame this cynically <laughs> as well, or in the same cynical way that I framed uh, previously his, his approach to his faith. I mean, his approach to his career just seems like just the superficial. <laughs> it's like, why do you want to become a lawyer? Yeah. Because laws can help people become yeah. connected. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. What is that? Uh, like, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, mean actually, what was more like, I was, you know, is when he talked about actually, he's like, you know, if he's family was in like a bad final situation he was like as the oldest person he needs to get a job that could help 
mm-hmm. pay the bills. Like that's, I, I feel like that's a more legitimate yeah. kind yeah. of, at least that's like more like honest uh, and like fair uh, as well. But like, yeah, this, <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Like that's- yeah. um, he, he does yeah. the same thing with his father too, because yeah. he repeats so often that being a physician was his father's way of attaining financial security and social status. But then when he comes to Canada and realizes he can't practice, he writes that his father's lamenting because he just wants to help people. He just wants to help people so bad and he can't do it. Uh, he's being prevented. So he needs to study for that exam. And then a couple paragraphs later, he was back to the financial security element of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't doubt his dad wanted to help people, but... I think it's like, I'd say sincere, but I think that actually shows you maybe something as well as, because even when we're talking about the hard financial times, like we, you know, like um, the period of, you know, when he was in university and, you know, there was a potential of, you know, creditors coming after them and he had to get a job while, you know, he had to work at Aldo or or whatever he Mm -hmm. worked, right? Which, you know, it's not easy to be a, you know, student working two jobs and being law school. But at the same time, he, they had three properties. One, as a student, he owned the condo, which was already paid for. His parents owned another house in Windsor, plus a 40 acre property, you know, so like even when I first heard the, like before I'd read the book and they talked about, I knew, you know, like some where some of the reviews and whatever were coming out, people were talking about how, you know, his dad was a doctor, so you can imagine, okay, like sort of professional life. But then they also talked about this like period of like bankruptcy and like financial struggle. It's like, oh, you know, I guess, you know, they fell on hard times. But when you actually read the book, even when they're falling on hard times, they actually, it was like a cash flow problem and a, and a problem of like debt and interest. Like who, what 22-year-old student, like a 22-year-old student is living in a condo that they own, which is paid for, is not like, working at Aldo is not like such a bad <laughs> place to be in that, yeah, that he, situation, he was, right? Yeah, he was going to be all right. Yeah, he, like he was okay. Yeah, he um, was gonna be all right. I mean, it was. I'm, I can imagine it was a very difficult time. Of course, and he and for him, he probably it is like uh, you know, yeah, show like for yeah. him, there was oh my, you know, all this is like world is like kind of falling apart, which for them it was. But it shows, like, so I think he's sincere in the financial distress that they felt, but that shows you the kind of you know situation they were in to begin with. This was a problem of how do they manage their three properties with you know debt here, and even when they were dealing with their father's alcoholism one of their solutions which was available to him was mm. getting his own apartment like yeah. that's yeah. um and you, yeah it's it's hard and to be this was him, during the hard time this is yeah. during the hard yeah. time so now they yeah. had right it's, like where the discussion is yeah trying to figure out what to do with the house because of the debt then it cuts the next paragraph to them moving the dad into the apartment yeah, yeah. Well, where how did this happen yeah. like you know so it's uh sure it was a tough time but he doesn't seem that aware of actually mm-hmm. like the immense privilege that he's is uh coming from yeah, like if you go on to the website, the NDP's website and the Jagmeet section of the website, you know, what, what's highlighted is that he worked at, you know, a retail store and yeah. had to take retail jobs to help oh, his family. How unique. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, and it's like, oh, the fact that he lived in this like giant house on a farm, yeah. you know, that his his dad just... He didn't even live there. They owned it without even like... He, that means the fact that they owned a house where they didn't even live in, which, you know, maybe... Well, but he he grew up in it for <laughs> a part up, of yeah, his... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, what was Contested yeah. Road or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is... <laughs> I have some other name. But anyway, yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not highlighted, of course. But in that way, Jagmeet, he's not that different from Trudeau. He's much closer mm-hmm. in his lifestyle, his upbringing, his private school education... All of those things it, to to someone like Trudeau than he is to like a working class NDP voter. But do you guys want to pause 
here take a break sure because there's a bunch of other things but we've been going on a while We're going to continue the discussion we've been having and we'll publish the next part of our discussion in a week. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.